Uh, Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you so much for purpose for each one of our lives. We thank you that you know the future and you know today. You know exactly what you're doing, and even when it seems to us that things are out of control and confusing, you are working. Lord, I pray that you would seal these great truths that you have prepared for us to hear this morning. To our hearts, Lord, would you give us your spirit to do that and to give us ears to hear what it is that you would have to speak, Lord. And would you speak through me? Clearly. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday mornings, we as a church family have been uh, journeying through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in Acts chapter 9, and we will begin our study this morning at verse 23. Last week, we were together, and we discussed in great detail the events of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, whom we will later know as Paul the Apostle. But guess what? Even though he's converted and even though he has changed the course of his life and began to follow Jesus, Saul of Tarsus is still not Paul the Apostle. He's still not Paul the Apostle. Now, of course, he is the vessel that God chose, and God sees that in his future. And him being rescued and saved by Jesus and repenting of his sins and turning to him would certainly be the climax of his journey of going from, become, going from Saul of Tarsus, the aggressive, violent man that he was, to be Paul the Apostle, the man that was filled with the Holy Spirit and spread the gospel throughout the world. And what is missing is this nasty word that we all don't like all the time, is preparation. Preparation. God is not quite yet finished in the Apostle Paul. And God is not finished in the work that he wants to do in him before he will work through him. And that is what we are going to talk about today. From verses 23 to 30, we will talk about preparation and the way that God prepared the Apostle Paul. We will talk about four phases of his preparation that he will go through, and I think those phases that are true of his preparation can be true of our very preparation as well. Preparation is such a nasty word for us who aspire to be and do something and feel called to something, and it's why. Because we realize that it it is this process... And we want to be doing those things that we call to and that we are passionate about now. We want to be in those things right now. And we're confused why the doors haven't opened and why we aren't in that place that we want to be right now. Now, heads up, I'm just going to give you a warning. These four phases of Paul's preparation are not always easy. They're not easy things, but they are completely necessary, and I hope that it would be an encouragement to you who are going through a bit of a challenging and preparing time. 
Maybe you don't know what, that it's a preparing time right now. But I do believe that God has something, a work for each of us to walk in, a character that He wants to build in us to make us more like Christ. And in your current circumstances, He is working you to prepare you for those things that He sees in your future. Now, the first phase of Paul's preparation is studying. Now, the interesting part is that this is actually in between the lines. What do I mean by that? It is in between the two verses where we ended off last week in verse 22, and we start off this week in verse 23. Follow me here as best you can. It says there in our portion where we ended last week at verse 22, Paul increased, Saul, sorry, increased in all the more strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And then it says, now after many days were passed, many days passed, that the Jews plotted to kill him. What did he do during those many days? In Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, he gives us a little bit of a commentary as to what happened in between those very many days. Verse 15 Galatians chapter 1, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's room and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, which he will do today and we will talk about, to those who were apostles before me. But first I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. We will talk about his visits with Peter. So again, uh, so you're following me there. In verse 22, he's kind of, he's ended there. He's on his way to Damascus last week. We talked about that. He's on his way to arrest the believers. He is arrested by Jesus, converted. He is led blind to Damascus. He gets healed of his blindness. He spends time with the church there in Damascus and he preaches. And that's where we left off last week. But again, after many days have passed, he's in Damascus again. And in those verses in Galatians, he gives us insight that he went back to Arabia for, for some time before he went to Damascus. Now, it's interesting, in Galatians chapter 4, he's talking about the Old and New Covenant. In verse 22, he says this, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other of a free woman. This is all a picture. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he who was of the free woman according to the promise, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with their children. He says that Mount Sinai where so many of the things that took place in the New Testament, he says that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. We think today, some people think that Mount Sinai is actually in the Sinai Peninsula. That's tourism. (laughs) It is. Mount Sinai is in Midian. God said to Moses, you will come back to this mountain where I spoke to you, which was in Midian. It is there in Midian, across the Gulf of Aqaba, there on the right side of the Red Sea, if you look at a map, where the Egyptian army is laying on the floor of the Red Sea. 
It is there where Moses gave the Ten Commandments and establishes the Old Covenant. I believe that Paul goes to Arabia to spend time at Mount Sinai with Jesus, his Old Testament, filled with the Holy Spirit, and begins to sort out his theology. He will have a deepened understanding of salvation. He will be the apostle that will talk about the basis of salvation is by grace through faith. Even in the Old Testament, it was by faith in the promise to come. He will begin to see that the Old Testament was a tutor or a spiritual x-ray to prove to us that we were in desperate need for a Savior, Jesus. That the law was to point to Jesus. And we know that Paul is the one who will supremely teach justification by faith. And he will write letters for us, but first he's spending time in Arabia in his Old Testament with the Lord and the Holy Spirit and figuring all of this out. He had a deep understanding of God's plan for redemption throughout history. And that redemption happened to him personally in Damascus, so he he understood that Jesus was alive. He understood that Jesus was the Messiah, But now in Arabia, he's learning how a man is to be saved on the basis of faith, not works. He grew up knowing the Old Testament, but he had missed Jesus in it. As he is reading the scriptures and the scales are taken off his eyes, he is seeing Jesus on all of it. He is realizing the whole Bible points to Jesus. That is why, church, we don't, we as a church here at Calvary Chapel, Kelowna, we do not abandon the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures. Because it all points to Jesus anyway. It's all about him. It's all a, it's all a thing that points to him. Paul's first phase of preparation is this phase of distraction-free, pointed time in study. In Arabia. The second phase of Paul's preparation is suffering. Now we, he goes back to Damascus, he begins to preach all that he's learned, and it all wasn't well received. We'll see this in verse 23 to 26. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried and did not believe that he was a disciple. So he is not well received. We're told earlier in the chapter by Jesus that he was going to be shown the things that he was going to have to suffer. And we look at that and we read that and we wonder, why in the world would the Lord have suffering in his plan for Paul? First, I I believe it is for intimacy with Jesus. We know that Paul's number one goal was knowing Christ. And it it is out of his mouth that he says he wants to know the power of, of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. 
Paul had a deep understanding that in his calling, in his pursuit to know Jesus and being obedient in his faith and in serving him and sharing the gospel, that, there, that suffering was going to be a part of this process. And there would be no more intimate time that he would be closer to Jesus than in his hardship. Because it was here that he knew that he can partake in the same sufferings that Jesus did. And he had a high priest who could not, that could sympathize with his weaknesses. They're they are plotting to kill him. He's let down in a basket. He gives us commentary on some of his suffering for, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two to 33 I hope you're ready for me to read this. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. This is Paul speaking. Are they, not, are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night in the day, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. This all sounds like a real uh, inspiring speaker. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my daily concern for the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I most boast, I will boast in these things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, this is what he's talking about, the governor under Eretus the king, was guarding the city of Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. It's interesting there, after all those awful things that he would eventually go through and deal with, at the end, as if to say it with a cherry on top, like it hurt him, I was let down in a basket through the window of a wall. And I escaped the people that tried to kill me. For whatever reason, this particular event in his life had a deep impact on Paul's heart. Perhaps it was because of why he came to Damascus originally in the first place. Do you remember why he came? He came because he wanted to arrest and persecute the Christians. Jesus saves him. He joins the believers. He's preaching now. And he is going to be hunted down. Now for the first time, he has become the hunted follower of Jesus after he hunted so many. And so I wonder how he is feeling after he had, first of all, persecuted so many himself. And now he is being persecuted by people that no doubt he cared about and were his friends. 
It says here also, not only was he let down in a basket in verse 26, that, there e- that he even tried to join the disciples in Jerusalem. This is like the church church, you know, the first church. They were all afraid of him and did not receive him. Want to know what Paul is experiencing here in suffering? Rejection. Paul is is suffering rejection, and rejection for so many of us can be a bitter drink to swallow. It can be so painful, especially some of us who have begun to follow Jesus and because of that relationship severed. What happens when you're hurting and the people that you depended on and trusted the most have let you down? This can cause great, great deep wounds in a mind and heart. I have two pieces of encouragement for you. First off, there is no greater one that is acquainted with sorrow and rejection than Jesus. Take it to him. He experienced rejection in ways that we would never understand. He came as a savior and his own family did not receive him. We will find him weeping over Jerusalem as he for so long knew he would come to save them. He says that he desired to gather them under his wings like a hen, mother hen would gather her chicks and yet they were not willing They will reject him and they will crucify him, the people who he loved. And then, of course, on the cross, not only is he rejected by his own, but he takes on our own sin upon himself. And the father turns his face away. And he will cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there was a disconnect in the Godhead that had never happened in eternity, and he did that for us. If you are suffering rejection, you need to know this. He knows your suffering. He sees you, and he loves you. And I would encourage you to put your trust in the one who said he will never leave you or never forsake you. Second, not only that, My second encouragement to you is that in suffering again, this is all part of him building us. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. And produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, we all want that, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We are told that tribulations by Paul produce in us perseverance, character, and hope. And these things do not disappoint. And he understands that in these things that he has for you, in your future, you will need perseverance. You will need character. You will need hope. And he wants you to depend on him for it. He understood that for Paul, and he allowed Paul to go through some hardship in order to prepare him. This is the second phase of Paul's preparation, and that is suffering and rejection. The third phase of Paul's preparation was supervised experience. Supervised experience. 
Verse 27, then Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, the apostles coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Now you can spend time in books all you want. But it is necessary when you are being prepared to go out and do the thing. You have to go out and do the thing. Paul here, he's with Barnabas. Barnabas will later be his partner in ministry. He will take him under his wing and disciple him, and he will spend time with Peter and the other apostles. And it was there with them in Jerusalem that he is coming in and going out. He's just taking part in the day-to-day lives of the apostles. And so Paul, in his preparation and becoming an apostle that Jesus had called him to be, spent time with other apostles. Working with them, learning from them, coming is given to us in Scripture. But I don't believe that this is only relative to, uh, to us that are called to vocational ministry. This is... For all of us who are called by God and given, by, given something to do for him and by him. And that, that could be out in the regular workforce. And so if you want to be a, a mechanic, I would recommend spending time with other mechanics. If you want to be a carpenter, spend time with another carpenter. And I could go on and on and on with every single type of worker. There is. I would encourage you, all of you who are seeking to grow in any area of your life, to seek out mentorship. Seek mentorship. Not only did he learn from them, but he worked alongside them, no doubt under their authority and tutelage. I think of um, Vanessa Hardy. She comes to our church. She's not here this morning. But... She is studying right now to become a pilot. And at first in her studies, I'm sure there were manuals and books for her to read. Information about equipment, the plane, the flying conditions. But eventually she was going to have to go out and get flight time. She was going to go out and fly. Now it would be silly and dangerous for her to have gone out on her own initially, right? And so she would have had an instructor go out with her. And then after time, she's gaining confidence and ability. She's starting her own flight hours under very specific and safe conditions. And that is how you build a pilot. Don't be so arrogant as to assume that you don't need the help of others. And do not undervalue safer and tamer conditions in your learning as you want to go out and do the thing that you're passionate about. I know you want to fly. But sometimes we have to learn how to stand and walk. And don't frown upon those in authority over us who draw those types of boundaries. And who might know you're just, you might not be ready just yet. The third phase of Paul's preparation was supervised experience. The fourth, and the, the fourth and the last phase of his experience was time. Time. Interestingly, I think I will spend the most time talking to you about time. 
We'll see that in verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Paul goes back to Tarsus, his hometown, and we will not hear again from Saul of Tarsus for two chapters. And that two chapters is a span of about 10 to 15 years. And something happens there in the early church, finally, after the 10 years, and Barnabas goes, I know exactly the man that I need for this. And he's in Tarsus. I need to go look for him. But that took, that took 10 years to happen. And that fascinates me that God had allowed Saul to wait for 10 years, at least. After he had appeared to him on the road to Damascus and declared that Paul was his chosen vessel, he waited 10 years before Paul would actually start his public ministry. Most people get the sense that Saul of Tarsus, uh, you know, he's going to get knocked off his horse. He's going to get this encounter with Jesus. He's saved. He starts preaching and immediately he's going to go into public ministry and writing uh, the New Testament. It was not like that at all. A period of at least 10 years where he just goes quiet and he has no impact that we are aware of. You would think that God would have thrown him right into the middle of the fullness of his calling. Right away. Considering who this man was, he was practically a celebrity in that day. He was famous to the Jews. So that was like, almost like a Hollywood actor or actress getting saved and preaching about Jesus. Get, you know, I'm thinking, get him on the circuit. Get him speaking. We could... You know, the numbers are going to increase, and so are the tithes. You know, like, we're just, we need this. We need him speaking right now. On a more serious note, you look at the needs of the early church. We see that the early church had an intense amount of persecution that was going on. And you would think that Paul, that God would not have wanted to waste a moment of Paul's life, and he would just thrust him right into the fullness of the need of that hour. And yet God didn't do that. He didn't do that. Instead, God spent 10 to 13, 15 years preparing him for the ministry that he would spend the rest of his life doing. And it teaches us that even chosen vessels must be prepared. Chosen vessels must be prepared. We live in a culture that undervalues preparation. The culture you and I live in undervalues preparation if for no other reason than it involves time. We live in a very impatient and hurried culture. We want what we want and we want it now. And that manifests itself in our day-to-day lives. We come to a traffic light. It's red. We're not looking at our own traffic light. We're looking at the next traffic light to see when that one's going to turn yellow, then red. And when the cars have stopped going in that direction, you're wondering, why hasn't the sensor picked it up so that I could go already? Sort of thing. We're at the grocery store. We're ready to check out. We take a look at each line. Every single one. 
Which line is the shortest? Which checker looks fast? Which checker looks slow? Which shopper looks fast? Which shopper looks slow? How many bags are in our competitors' carts? This is a competition. What lines are we in? And then finally, after having assessed the situation and made a, made a, a weighed choice, we're still not satisfied after we're in the line. We continue to assess. We look at every other line to see whether we made the right choice or not. And we're disappointed because we didn't notice that the line we chose has a Brazilian for the checkout. I love Brazilians. (laughs) He can't communicate that well. I'm just trying to make you laugh. Why is that line moving faster than mine? It was shorter before. It was longer before. Sorry, my line is shorter, but... This is the culture we live in. All time waiting is considered a waste of time. All time waiting is considered a waste of time. Our minds are consumed by the right now, and we are resistant to preparation. We are always in the here and now. And one of the things that it is vitally important for us to learn from God, and believe me, church, I am preaching to myself, okay? One of the things we have to learn about God is that He is not impatient at all. And He is not in a hurry at all. Sometimes we need the faith to go. And sometimes we need the faith to slow. To wait upon Him. Because in Him, because to Him, there are some things in life that are more important than speed. And how quickly things can happen. There are certain things in life that can't be hurried. There are certain things in life that take time. There are certain things in life that require preparation. Things like godly character. Things like maturity. Things like Christ's likeness. And a deep and personal relationship with God and a deep understanding of the Word of God. And when God works in our lives today as Christians, and He is working, He is doing two things simultaneously, and we don't always see it. We see the one thing, and we see the first thing. And the first thing is that God is working in our very present situation right now. He's with you right now. And He cares about what you are dealing with right now. He loves you. And He's walking with you right now. And we are so often aware of what He is doing right now and what is happening right now. But on top of that, second, and this is what we are not always aware of, because He knows the future, He will also work to develop a character in our lives and prepare us to be who He needs us to be in the future. And that is often what we are so unaware of. And if I do not understand this about God, I can become very frustrated with Him. Frustrated with what He is doing in my life and what He is allowing for my life. And it's easy without that understanding that there is a very present, daily, preparing element in the work that He is doing right now in these 24 hours for some time in the future And we begin to ask questions, if not out loud, at least in our minds, why is this happening to me? 
This does not make any sense to me. I don't need this. Why is God doing this to me? I thought he called me. I don't know anyone else who is going through something like this. And a frustration occurs in the work of God in our lives. And we realize that we need the character that God is producing in us in order to deal with the circumstances that are going to come in our future. The problem is we can't see those circumstances yet. Only God does. God right now is working to prepare you for the things He sees clearly in your future, but because you can't see them, His dealings in your life can be very tense and confusing. And God is very faithful in making sure that we possess what we need and very faithful to prepare us to prepare us for what we are going to require to handle the things that are coming in our future. You take it in human terms, in the realm of not only a heavenly father, but an earthly parent. No parent is being successful in that role if they are not both preparing their child for what their individual day holds. Immediate things like homework. We have to help our kids with the homework now, today. But also preparing them for the adult life that they are heading into. You see, teaching your kid about discipline and work ethic isn't only about them being a good student today, doing their homework today, or cleaning their room today. We all know that we care about these things because it is to prepare them for the adult life. Preparing them for the skills that they're going to need to have to navigate an adult world. And if we don't do that to our children, they will go into that adult life and get swallowed alive. And what we fail to recognize is that preparation is serious business. It is serious business in the eyes of God. Preparation is vitally important and it is not a waste of time at all. And God takes it very seriously. And everywhere you look in life, you see the need for preparation and training in order to be successful. Beyond that, you see that the greater a goal that a person has, the greater thing that they want to do, the greater goal that they are aiming at, the greater influence that they want to have, especially for the Lord. They want to do, you know, someone that wants to make a difference for God, someone that wants to be an influence for Him, someone that wants to live a life that people would look at that life and say, I see Jesus and I want him. The greater the thing that you want to accomplish, the greater amount of preparation and severity of the preparation is so often necessary. You look at a professional athlete, any sport, you could choose, whatever's your favorite. You see that athlete, male or female, you see them on the court or the field and you realize it took them hours and hours of discipline and pain and time and preparation for what they're doing. You understand the sacrifices that professional athletes make are different than ours in order to achieve those goals. They take much pain. They they sacrifice a lot of their time and their energy and they exert themselves to prepare. You think of medical doctors. If you want to be a surgeon, 
beyond a family doctor. Guess what? It's going to require more years of preparation before you can perform surgery. Imagine the damage that you would do if you were a surgeon without proper preparation. And again, we see that everywhere where you see healthy success in life, preparation and time is required. And the same is true of God's work in His people. Throughout Scripture, you think of Joseph in the Old Testament. His name is practically synonymous with preparation. We see God coming to him as a young man, giving him vision and dream that he will be the greatest in his family and that one day his brothers were even going to bow down to him, that he was going to have power. And then, of course, you think of his story. He goes through times of slavery. He goes through times in prison. He is, But eventually he will find himself the second most powerful man in the world, second only to Potiphar, and we find that all those very specific years in his life were time to prepare him. Now, I find this interesting. I I don't know if you remember this. Go back to the story. But he will lead Egypt through a time of seven years of fruitfulness. And he will also lead Egypt in a time of not fruitfulness. It's the proper word for that. Lacking. It's interesting because he worked in Potiphar's house, and I believe it was there in those years in Potiphar's house was where he learned how to lead in abundance. And then he spent other years in prison. And I believe it is in those years that he learned how to lead in a time of famine. You think of Moses. Moses, for two-thirds of of his life, is in preparation. How does God prepare him to lead his people? He goes out into the wilderness for 40 years, and he does what? He shepherds his father-in-law's sheep. Not his own sheep. His father-in-law's sheep. And then eventually, after that time, and for him, he would have thought, what is God doing? He must have forgotten about me. And his people. And then God appears to him. He says, I want you to lead my sheep now. I want you to lead my flock out of Egypt. And you're going to lead them in the same wilderness. You think of David. David, young man, called to be the king. And he had some early successes. Right? He slays Goliath. He, had some, he, was, a, he was a great warrior. And yet he will spend years running for his life from Saul. Not this Saul, another Saul. King Saul. And then you find during this time of preparation in each of their lives, not only for moments, but for years of time, it seemed that all was unfair, that everything was working against them as if God had forgotten them and failing to keep his promises to them. And yet, in each of these cases, time would reveal that God's preparation was perfect. God's preparation was perfect. He knew exactly what they needed in order to be successful, godly people in the high places that he had called them to. But he had to build character in them. And what was true for them is is true for Paul, who's going to wait. 
God is always working in our lives today, not only with today in mind. That's what dominates us today. But he also prepares us for what he knows is coming our way in the future. And this time of preparation can be very, very hard, very confusing, because at the moment we don't know why. Why do I have to go through this, God? But remember, there is something harder, and this is key, it's very important. There is something I believe that is harder than preparation. And that is to find yourself in that calling, in that future season that he has for you, unprepared. That place where God has you to be, he wants you to be prepared for it, and he loves you too much to allow you to get there before you are prepared. Preparation is a loving and intimate work of God. If he didn't love us, he'd just say, forget it. It's not wor- you know, worth hearing you squawk every day and cry and moan and complain. I'm over it. I'm over your crying. You can have what you want now. And you can hurt yourself and everyone around you. He never does that because he loves us. If you are in that trial, you're in a situation that is stretching you in your present time. Would you embrace this great truth that you are being prepared by God and he knows what he's doing? He knows what he's doing every day. And one day, that thing that he's called you to, that thing that you are looking forward to, unless he returns, that day will come. As sure as you are in here right now, it will come. That day is going to come. And when that day comes, I believe you're going to be very thankful for the preparation that God did in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you're so faithful. You're so good to us. You are the potter. We are the clay. You handle us and you mold us and you stretch us and you break us. And sometimes we are confused as to what you are doing but we know that you are working in, in, in us before you want to work through us. And Lord, I pray that we would humble, humbly and lovingly submit to this great work that you're doing in each of our lives. Thank you. Thank you that all that comes again, and those, for those of us who love you, thank you that you are working Christ-likeness in us and you promise to continue that work to completion. Lord, we love you. And we sit here this morning trusting you with what you are doing. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.